You're listening to American Girl Women with Laura Treader and Lindsay Adams-Franca. This is a podcast where two millennial gals gather around the microphone and reminisce on the cultural phenomenon that took our childhood by storm, American Girl Dolls. Contrary to what you might think, we aren't just talking about dolls here. We're diving into the high highs and the low lows of getting hooked on American Girl and all the childhood memories that come flooding back. So join us and a few special guests each week as we become American Girl Women. Today on American Girl Women, we are joined by Nicole Tremaglio, host of the Nostalgia podcast, which explores how pop culture and technology impact how we see ourselves and relate to others. Growing up in Connecticut, Nicole loved dancing and was also captivated by the world of American Girl. We are so honored to have her join us today and hear all about her experience with the brand. Nicole, welcome to AGW. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to chat with you today, Nicole, especially because you deal in the same currency as we do here at AGW, which is nostalgia. So I feel like this is just like a UN summit of nostalgia here today. (laughs) You know, it's funny when I was younger, I had the around the world Barbies and I would play UN with them basically because there were about 20 of them all from different countries and they would come together. I don't know who plays UN with their Barbies um, other than me. I feel like most people would be playing out more of like a soap opera dramatic scene. But yeah, the diplomacy, the meeting of the minds, this is very (laughs) on brand for me. (laughs) What a smart way to play with those Barbies. Yeah, I've always been so interested in culture and getting to see those dolls from around the world. You see their traditional outfits that Mm -hmm. reflect where they're from. And when you're a little kid and you're not necessarily traveling around the world, you just get a little idea about how people around the world dress and their customs and their cultures. And I was just always very fascinated by that. Totally. And now, Nicole, for those unfamiliar, would you be able to tell us a bit more about what your podcast is about and what you dive into? Absolutely. So Nostalgia is the name of the podcast. It's like Nicole and Nostalgia. (laughs) And the tagline is Deep Conversations About Superficial Things, which I absolutely love because I'm a very deep thinker and I love taking kind of like the sociology lens to pop culture. I love thinking about the identity piece, who we are, how we see ourselves, how we relate to other people and how we see ourselves in the world and pop culture, whether it's music or fashion or technology. And those are my three favorite things that I like to talk about. Whatever way you're able to express yourself or whatever pieces of pop culture resonate with you, it forms your worldview. And I think a lot of people don't even think that deeply about it. I think very deeply about everything. So to be able to have conversations with people about these things that we love, for me, it's not so much about looking back into the past necessarily. There's not even like, I've always been a nostalgic person, but there's not even like an overly sentimental kind of view of it. It's more Mm -hmm. like, okay, we are adults now. We are old enough to see a fashioned trend cycle complete. We are old enough to have 
responsibilities as adults tend to have. So how do we maintain this sense of enthusiasm and childlike wonder and like not letting the magic um, from amazing experiences that you've had fade away and channeling this really excited, dynamic energy into your day to day. That's kind of what it's all about. Lindsay and I can relate to that so much, that feeling of wanting to like almost do a a more adult reexamination into nostalgia that's obviously has sentimental um, parts of it, but is also maybe even taking like a more critical eye to why it made us feel a certain way when we were growing up, like what we can learn from it. And I think that we're probably one of the first generations, and I'm sure every generation like obviously has its nostalgia points, but with the explosion of like the internet and just so much content happening in like the 90s and 2000s, I feel like we're one of the first generations that just has such like a ability to revisit these things because we can tap back into the visuals or any of the mediums that we are nostalgic about. So I feel like we're more interesting than other generations (laughs) when it comes to nostalgia. It's so funny because every generation thinks that their generation is the best and had the best music and it was better in their days. But Millennials are very uniquely positioned in that we are the only generation with a completely integrated analog and digital upbringing. So Mm -hmm. maybe someone who's Gen X, they had to be in the workforce at a time before technology, whereas we were not. We were introduced to computers in schools. And Gen Z might not even remember a time where they didn't have a family computer or even a personal iPhone, whereas we still have our childhoods where we didn't have our own phones. And taking the critical viewpoint, as you're saying, I love to call that examining the past through a contemporary lens because everything is a product of its own cultural zeitgeist. You know, when people say, oh, that song would never come out today. Yeah, you're right. It would never come out today. And it didn't come out today. So, I think it's very interesting how we're able to look at the past from the vantage point of the present. And this is also where a really interesting distinction comes about. I think people say the word nostalgia and it's overused and it becomes a bit of a misnomer when you venture into, I like the word now-stalgia, when you you venture into that territory where you're talking about people who Maybe they were introduced to American Girl or other things in more recent times, and they don't even remember when the dolls originally came out, or they were not recipients of the magazine because they were too young, but now they follow your account and they they find it really interesting because they're finding this information and it's new to them for the first Mm -hmm. time. So I think that's also a very cool phenomenon. And with American Girl specifically, it has almost become multi-generational in a way where you have baby boomer moms who bought the dolls for their millennial daughters. And now millennials might be buying the dolls for their own kids too. And so to see this kind of trickle down effect of we all have a different relationship with American Girl. 
but we can all enjoy it in our own way too. Oh, absolutely. There are so many different layers to be examined with American Girl relationships and how people connected with the brand and with those around them, whether it was peers or even themselves. And as you shared, you know, between different generations, but Nicole, I love how you use the term nostalgia. I think that for so many of us, there's kind of like this hard line of when, you know, we first discovered American Girl and when we close that chapter in our lives and, you know, like we ask all of our guests off mic before we record um, for the year that they were born in. So we could kind of gauge what their AG experience timeline was like, but I think Laura would agree to this when we look at American Girl catalogs and magazines that weren't part of our immediate experience, whether they were before or after our time, the sense of joy is still there that really just encapsulates the overall brand. And I think in the sense that like, you know, it's not present day, but it still feels so good. And nostalgia just seems like the perfect term for this. Yeah, there's this, I believe it's called Madwell, this branding agency that came up with that particular word. And there are a few different ways that I've seen it described, whether it is retro nostalgia or I like nostalgia, the remix as well. There's many different ways that you can refer to feeling this sense of fondness or interest for a time that you are not present for. And my favorite example of this, there's this organization called the Consumer Aesthetics Research Institute. And people on TikTok have explored the Consumer Aesthetic Research Institute's work. So what they will do is essentially name an aesthetic from a particular period of time. And they'll kind of give names to these overarching trends And now on TikTok, we see this hyperinflation of the trend where it's tomato girl this one day and cottagecore girl this the next day. But my favorite Kari aesthetic is called Groovival. And I talk about this on Nostalgia constantly. What Groovival essentially is, it's like the groovy revival. It is the nostalgia for the 1960s and 70s from the vantage point of the 1990s. And when I found out this word, my whole life suddenly made sense. Oh, this is why the flower power birthday party from the American Girl magazine was the one I was immediately drawn to and why I had the hippie Halloween costume. My mom was seeing a trend cycle repeat for the first time in her life. And I was being introduced to these styles and cherry-picked bits of aesthetics without the original socio-political context of the 1960s and 70s. I was not there for that, but my mom was. So we were both able to have this fondness toward, oh, that's such a cute outfit or, oh, that's such a cute theme for a party. So having that multi-generational relationship to this time and then seeing that expressed in what the dolls were wearing. And I mean, Sometimes people, I never feel old, to be honest. I do know some people who are millennials who now start to feel old about stuff because now we are seeing a trend cycle repeat. But this 1960s to the 1990s is the same 
time period is the 1990s to now. So when people were, I don't want to say outraged, but when people were like, what? How are there 1990s American girl dolls? Oh my gosh. Well, it's the same thing as me getting a hippie doll in the 90s. That is such a good point. Bringing it to present day, I think, especially with us millennials, as we begin to age, like we've really seen trend cycles repeat, which always feels a little jarring. Like my friend and I ventured into Urban Outfitters a few weeks ago for funsies to see if anything appealed to us. And it was just like all early aughts fashion. And we were hit with such a deep feeling of how old we were. think with nostalgia too, you can kind of pass the baton to the next generation and be like, I got to enjoy this trend or conversely, I didn't like this trend the first time it came around. Maybe the next generation has something interesting that they want to say about this and that there's a twist that they want to give this trend or they want to breathe new life into something. I like to have a little bit of optimism, not in that our generation is evading responsibility to make a change in the world. So we're saying, oh, okay, Gen Z fix everything. And then Gen Z is like, nah, Gen Alpha, you could fix everything. Not (laughs) to be like that, but to just give young people a chance to express themselves. I went into an Urban Outfitters in Santa Monica, maybe about six months ago. And I don't shop there any longer. I used to be a big Urban Outfitters person, but I like to go in there for my nostalgic research because Mm. they are excellent at using nostalgia, not nostalgia, nostalgia specifically. That is Urban Outfitters' most powerful marketing tactic. Because when I was there in 2012, 2013, you know what I was buying? I was buying a record player so that I could right. play. I used to go <laughs> thrifting for vinyl records in, in Boston. And then I would play them on my Urban Outfitters record player, which I stopped doing because it was not a good record player and it was going to ruin <laughs> the records. But then they came back with tape cassettes and I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? Now they have everything from 3LW to, I'm trying to think of the most outlandish vinyls I've seen at Urban Outfitters. They have everything that should definitely not be on vinyl issued (laughs) on vinyl at Urban Outfitters. And so anyway, when I went there a few months ago, I saw a pair of high top, bright fluorescent pink Converse Chuck Taylors, the exact ones. I don't have much from when I was younger. I still have those, the exact same (laughs) sneakers. And I'm like, you know what? I hope that there's a 15 year old girl running around in these somewhere having a photo shoot on a playground like I did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, that is so true. There's so many things I think you know like Lindsay mentioned with the Y2K trends like seeing those kind of come back around with like you know it's always a different twist than the original though it's never exactly <laughs> like how it was when we were younger and it's just like it it blows my mind but I also feel like I I'm at a unique point between like millennial and Gen Z where I'm like, I could rock a like a Y2K like coach bag. Like I can see myself getting with that. But then like someone recently told me like, 
Indy Sleaze is back. And I'm like, no, that's like too far. Like I, that like, <laughs> it's actually like feels too recent for me to be able to bring that back. So I think mm-hmm. everybody probably hits their, their threshold with these things when it's their turning point of being like, well, wait a minute. Like, wasn't that, didn't I right. just have those like <laughs> skinny jeans from Urban Outfitters BDG? Like, didn't I just have those pink Converse? Like, it feels like it wasn't not enough time has passed, but it really it has. It's just so wild to be in the midst of you know that transition of being like maybe I am older than I feel. <laughs> <laughs> these transitions, these transitions between let's just call them eras, are going to continue to collapse because of technology. So when we look back to a time like the 90s, that was a time when we were wearing these clothes and not talking about them 24-7 on the internet. Whereas something like Indie Sleaze, that I think it's so appealing to people because it is the first time where a trend was happening concurrently with the advent of social media. And so this did begin an era where the proliferation of social media allowed us on MySpace, on Tumblr, on wherever else people were starting to take on these personas and perform and kind of like the predecessor to influencer culture and personal branding that we see today. It's easy for us now because we still haven't had a major shift in technology the way that we have since the advent of social media. So it's very easy since we're still using Instagram and we're not using all of the exact same platforms, but we're easily able to look back and be like, oh yeah, remember this thing we did on the internet? I did an episode a few months ago saying why 2010s nostalgia is already back, which you're like, wait, 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 the 2010s is like yesterday. And also I never thought I would be nostalgic at all for the 2010s. That's ridiculous. But at the same time, you have to remember that now all teenagers were not the target market where youth culture was centered around them at Mm -hmm. the beginning of social media. It was centered around us. And so that is where the nostalgic market emerges, where if Urban Outfitters can now target people talking about the 2010s because they think even Y2K, even the 90s, even the 2000s are getting outplayed and they need to produce faster and faster so we can make more and more money, then that's what's going to happen. And everything's going to become increasingly more fragmented in like, okay, let's just pick up whatever little piece of an aesthetic that we can and try to milk it as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So it really does seem like the trend cycles are just happening faster and faster as technology increases. I think that it's a bit of a pendulum swing. You tend to see things go one way and then go another because people get burnt out. And I think that what was very interesting when Gen Z became the focal point of youth culture, their crusade, let's call it, was apparently sustainability. Just like the millennials crusade was work-life balance. And then millennials got burnt out and they're like, <laughs> honestly, I literally don't even care. I don't, I, I can't, I grow a boss too close to the sun and 
now I'm just, I'm burnt out and I'm left to pick up the pieces of my own life and I can't buy a house. (laughs) But for Gen Z, they were like, yes, sustainability. Yes. Save the world. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, nah, actually a Sheehan haul from my bedroom would be so much easier to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like you, you see the like, okay, this is our mission. We're going to change the world. We're going to do this. But then it's like young people also don't necessarily have to change the world. Like there is a part of, of young people where it's like, you do have to just like live and learn. And so I think that people get tired consuming constantly. And Mm -hmm. so whether you're creating constantly on social media, consuming constantly on social media, it is so tiring. And so I, I do think that there's an ebb and flow in that the pace has definitely accelerated of seeing all these trends and whatnot, but that's why you also see revivals and remakes and reboots and just put the prefix re in front of every, anything, anything and everything, because people don't like change that much. Wow. That is so real. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like we can actually like dissect a lot of the things that we just talked about and how they relate to American Girl, because I think that there is a lot that has happened within the American Girl franchise that sort of positions us, you know, to have such a a phenomenon on our hands as we do today. But Nicole, to get us positioned with American Girl in your life before nostalgia, (laughs) what were you like growing up? Oh, I was a little superstar. Let me tell you guys, (laughs) I was very bubbly, very happy-go-lucky, always singing, always dancing, always had a smile on my face. I'm I'm pretty similar to that now. But yeah, I grew up dancing, so I loved to perform and I loved drawing. I loved music. I loved climbing the tree in my front yard, doing gymnastics. I always loved very kind of stereotypically girly things. And then as I got a little bit older, I became a big Delia's girl and (laughs) I went from limited to to Delia's Mm -hmm. and yeah. And then I just, I just always had a, a little bit of quirkiness in that I was just very enthusiastic about everything. And sometimes people would be like, why are you so happy all the time? And I thought, wow, must suck (laughs) to not be happy all the time. But I I think that, you know, I had a little bit of, I was a little bit head in the clouds at times too, a little naive at times as well. But overall, I had a really happy childhood. I feel really grateful for that. We always say that we wish we could all just transport back in time together and all be besties. Like you just sound like one of, one of our gals. Um, Mm -hmm have to ask what style of dance were you most into for Mm. for context were you a ballet girly or more tap jazz oh yeah so (laughs) jazz was always my favorite and (laughs) tap scared me the most and I remember going to so 
I did all kinds of stuff growing up. I would go to conventions. I did a little bit of competing. I was in a dance company, all this stuff. And so I remember going to these classes where it was kind of like a, a setup where you would go to these classes with all these different dancers from different studios throughout the region And I was in like a young professionals program. And so we would learn all about the different techniques and just be equipped with the education in case we wanted to pursue a career teaching or whatever. So anyway, I remember I went to a tap class and one session throughout the year was like the audition session. So everyone would have to wear a number and I would get so nervous because the classes in and of themselves were already hard, but then when you know people are watching you and judging you, it's so nerve wracking. So I go to this tap. Yeah. I go to this (laughs) tap class thinking, Oh, I don't even want to know what's going to happen here. But I remember two specific instances and I don't remember which exact one it was, but one time we danced to a U2 song and then the other time we danced to a Katie Tunstall song, which exactly <laughs> dates the story that like, it's like a time capsule. I'm exactly dating the story that I'm telling you. But anyway, there was one class where we did a dance to a song that I really liked and the combination came a little bit easier to me than I anticipated. So I could just have fun and I was smiling and not like I was singing along, but I just kind of had my skip my step and there was a girl in class who was by far better than me, by far a better technical dancer. And she was so pissed when I won the scholarship in that class. (laughs) And and I just I I tell you that story because that kind of sums it up. I don't consider myself an underdog in any way, shape or form. However, I've never gotten anything in life because I was technically the best or I got the highest GPA or because I studied the most or anything like that. I always, anything that came to me was because I was a part of a community or because I cared about something and Mm -hmm. expressed my genuine enthusiasm. And now instead of letting people be like, why are you so happy? You're like, why are you trying so hard or why are you so excited about this? Or why would you go talk about American girls in your thirties? Like, no, my enthusiasm is what makes me, me enthusiasm, expression, curiosity, connection. Those are my values. That's what I do. And every single thing I do is consistent with that. I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. That's so important. Like what like a great lesson to learn so early on. It's very American girl coded as well. Very. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. And speaking of American girl, Nicole, what was your earliest memory of the brand and how were you first introduced to it? I must have seen the catalog at some point and I did go to a fashion show. I can't remember if that was before or after I received my first American Girl doll, which was Samantha, on my seventh birthday. We'll post the picture on our Instagram, but we have an iconic photo of Nicole receiving Samantha for her seventh birthday. Samantha's in her birthday finery as well. Um, (laughs) And 
just such a sleigh. I feel that Samantha's aesthetic is almost like a little bit of a, a nostalgia vibe where I see us like revisiting a lot of those like very like girly, like puffy, like bib front silhouettes of like the 80s today, like that Ghani vibe. And -hmm. then I also think that like Samantha's wardrobe and like the reason why I think it it resonated and she was like one of the more popular dolls in the 90s is because they were sort of doing that like 80s, 90s sort of like – puffy sleeve bib dress vibe that was from Samantha's time period uh, of like that Edwardian era. Like a lot of Samantha's clothes, I feel like could have been worn in the nineties. Like that's how my mom Mm -hmm. dressed me in the (laughs) nineties. There's a particular outfit of Samantha's and it's her winter coat. And I believe it's like a dark green, maybe like an emerald or a hunter green. And it comes with this, white fluffy what would you call that yeah muff muff. and I'm like this is chic as hell like I want to go and make this in my size (laughs) right truly oh my goodness that whole outfit is just incredible and like why haven't muffs come back like (laughs) it makes so much sense but back to Samantha do you remember specifically choosing her or was she gifted to you I feel like either way, I would have chosen Samantha because, and in my own words, she looks like me. (laughs) I also had long, dark brown hair with bangs. In the picture of me holding her, I am missing a front tooth, but I am smiling as wide as I possibly can be. I just thought she was so cool and so chic. She's the gateway, right, for a lot of people, because there is something so accessible about her sort of coming in as like a peak fashion icon to where we were at in the 90s. Like we were really appreciating her style. And um, yeah, I think she was my gateway as well. I also looked like her, as many girls did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But Nicole, how did you come by the rest of your collection? Because you had quite the collection at the end of the day. Guys, I had like every original doll. It's sick. (laughs) I tell my parents, I'm like, you guys could have been driving around like a BMW SUV, but you had to make sure that Felicity had a bed first (laughs) and that Kirsten had her lunchbox first. Molly had her school outfit. Addie had her Christmas dress. (laughs) Like, It's absolutely insane to me. And I've really dug into a lot of my material possessions that I've had as a child, because like I mentioned to you guys, I don't really have much anymore. I don't really have much of anything anymore. I think after living in New York for a while too, you kind of can't have too many possessions. I've lived Mm -hmm. in too small of spaces to be able to keep things. And so the American girl accessories and outfits are among the very few physical items that I still have from childhood. But yes, I guess that we were probably just on the mailing list for the catalog. I saw something and I was just, I don't mean to say spoiled in a bad or a mean way, but I think I was just spoiled and was like, I want this for Christmas or I want this for my birthday. 
<laughs> and my family was like, okay. <laughs> totally. And that's something I've also had to examine with myself because I had a lot of dolls and things for the dolls. I think this is just what I was asking for more than anything else also. So it's very easy for people to, you know, just get you something from a catalog at the time versus having to like really think about it. Like in a way, having that catalog to share with like relatives and like parents makes it so easy for them because you're just like probably anything from here will be fine. It's hard to get gifts for kids. So. Right? That's a really <laughs> yeah. good point, especially when you don't know what like they have already. Like I even think of like my like nephew, I'm always like what's on his Amazon wish list that I could buy that I know you don't already have. Like American Girl really makes it like an easy way to gift. Um, in addition to Felicity's bed, which I think you mentioned, mm -hmm. did you have any other like big furniture items? I don't think I did. My sister had the bitty babies, which I never had any bitty Ooh. babies. I was never interested in them. Yeah, I guess I just was never super into baby dolls. Like my sister was more into baby dolls than I was, but they had those high chairs. And then my sister had a wheelchair for one of her dolls as well. And those are the bigger accessories that I remember. I had yeah. mostly, I had mostly clothes actually, but my favorite accessory that I have. Oh, well, I was going to tell you my favorite, but I did just think of one that's slightly <laughs> bigger than my favorite. So the slightly bigger one was that Josefina had this oven and you had the whole setup. You had a little kind of like a little loaf of bread that you had on the paddle that you, I don't know if that's the proper word for it, but essentially what looked like a paddle and you would be able to uh, put the bread in the oven. And so that was kind of cute. But my favorite, favorite accessory was, this was American Girl of Today, was a karaoke machine. Oh and I'm like, God. wow, Fine. I had a karaoke machine and even my doll had to have her <laughs> own karaoke machine too. And it worked. It worked oh my for gosh. the doll? Yeah, it worked. It had like a FM radio or whatever. Like it was a battery operated little. Technically, it didn't work as a karaoke machine. Or right. Did it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it did. Working mic. So yeah. <laughs> that is something I could so see them bringing back around too, because they have done with, I think, in the wake of the release of the 90s historical dolls, they've done reissues of some of the logo items from the 90s. The American Girl of Today shirt, something I just purchased at the store for myself. Um, the sleepover kit, uh, some of the outfits, the red vinyl jumper and the Y2K mm -hmm. New Year's outfit. Like I could so see them reproducing this karaoke machine too, mm -hmm. because it, it does feel like a throwback. Like I could see kids today being like, oh, like, this is so funny that they <laughs> used to do karaoke like this. <laughs> My sister had the red vinyl dress. If I had to dress in any of the clothes other than Samantha's incredible winter outfit, that red vinyl dress is awesome. <laughs> yeah, we love that one. We did a dive into all like the girl of today outfits, and that was definitely a top tier choice for us. What were some of your doll's best outfits? Mm, I did have a lot of Christmas outfits. I'm just one for an occasion. Yeah. You know, I, I love something <laughs> to celebrate. So they, I almost all of them probably had Christmas outfits and Kirsten with her candles and yep. that whole set. I saw a meme 
recently and it's of Kirsten in that outfit and it says this is the type of shit I'm on and I'm like oh my god (laughs) that's so relatable just like being very extra in your Christmas getup. Yeah. <laughs> Dressed to the nines always. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> so true. So true. I feel like I could totally see like also like as a society, us sort of like moving away. Like there's something very like relatable to the Christmas outfits of the American girls because back I think and every family is different of course but when I was a kid like we really dressed up for the holidays and I feel like people don't do that as much anymore so like having those like big Christmas moments like I wanted to wear any and all of the Christmas outfits like including Kirsten's even though I had no affinity for St. Lucia Day like I I feel like people just like don't appreciate like a Christmas look and that was such a huge moment in terms of like the offerings they had for the dolls um and in the girl size clothing too like they always offered those all in girl size but Mm -hmm. did you have any of the girl size clothing Nicole? I did not and I never had the desire to either um because I felt like the dolls As much as I was very girly in my style, I suppose, I did have a little bit of a sporty edge. I'm I'm a big sporty spice fan. And so (laughs) I I loved a little bit of yeah, I get I don't want to say an edge. I was like seven, but you know, I liked a little bit of a more modern look. And you know how I guess maybe this is just an older expression, but when your grandma or someone is like, Oh, you look like a doll. And it's like Yeah, it's because you're dressed like a little Edwardian child. Right. Like, that's why you look like a doll. Like it's right. you literally look like a doll. And right. so I feel like when we were kids, we used to dress literally not that the dolls dressed like us, like we actually dressed like dolls in these crazy big dresses that you would get from JC Penny or something like that. And I remember there was this one dress that I wore on Easter, like three years in a row. And I'm like, I'm so sick of this dress. It's so ugly and it's not cool. And I felt as though once you get past, once I got past age five or six, like kind of when your mom stops dressing you and you start to have a say in what clothing she buys for you, I guess that's when my personal style first emerged and I didn't want to dress like a doll yeah. anymore. Yeah. Whereas when you're a really little kid and you go to a Christmas party, yeah, usually your parents are dressing you and you look like a doll. You're cute, but you look like a doll. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Speaking of fashion and girl size fashion and all of that, Nicole, could you tell us a little bit more about the AG fashion show that you attended? Ooh, yes. I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm so glad I did. Essentially, there were girls and they each held a doll and they walked down a runway and we got little programs. I believe I yeah, I do still have the program and I'm going to share with you what I wrote in my program. So it said my favorite book in the American Girls collection is and I wrote Again, this must have been after I already had the doll. So let's say I was about seven years old writing this. My favorite book is Meet Samantha. 
And then it says, because I said, because it is a good book, which, <laughs> okay. Like kind you of, were. kind of vague, kind of <laughs> elusive, kind of mysterious, but okay. I so mean, then, it is, but <laughs> not very good books. Right? So then it says, I think I am most like, and it lists Felicity, Josefina, Kirsten, Addie, Samantha, Molly, and girl of today. And you had to circle one. So naturally I circled Samantha because, and I wrote, because I look like her, because I don't want to act like a quotes lady (laughs) (laughs) on our birthdays, we had stockings, which I have no idea what that means. Maybe I like wore tights or something. I have no idea what that means. We both read well. And so I don't remember anything about any of the American girl books but I just thought it was so funny to say that I don't want to act like a lady. I think that, that explains why I didn't want to dress like a doll. That is really cute and funny and wholesome. <laughs> so I'm so sweet. happy you have this. And like, I know the Samantha stocking situation was a plot line in her birthday book where her cousins or Aunt Cornelia's sisters, the twins, Agnes and Agatha were teasing Samantha for still wearing her stockings on her birthday and Samantha felt old enough to not wear them anymore. But that is so cute. I'm so happy you have that still. Okay. That context helps because I feel like that's a journey that I would have where (laughs) I would still like, my mom would be like, put on your shoes or like put on these tights. And I would be like, no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Were you also reading the AG book series, Nicole? I had read all of the books too. As I got more dolls, I always read the books too. And I knew a lot of people who they would receive dolls as a reward for reading the books. Mm. So I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't think that was the case. I think I just liked to read. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I kind of went through like a bell curve or an inverse bell curve there, I suppose, where like I really liked reading when I was young. And then when I got to reading for school as an obligation, I no longer enjoyed it. And Mm now I'm still really passionate about reading. I think the motivation is there again, because it's something that I have the personal conviction to do versus in school when they're making you read something that is not particularly interesting to you. But I like the tie in with the reading as well, because I feel like literacy is important. And Mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's I, I like to look at it that way as opposed to like you're learning about history versus, oh, let's just sell one more thing with the doll. Right. Right. Well, that's so real, too, because like, of course, like we liked those books were not mandatory to read and we liked reading them because they had like a tie in with the dolls. But like we were also vo- voluntarily learning about history in a way that like, you know, is kind of hard to get kids to do if you're at a certain age and like I think I learned almost as much from like the context of the American Girl historical fiction as I did from school so it's honestly a great way to get kids invested in history and I never felt like I was like you know just trudging my way through those books like they were actually so good and um you know they didn't feel like a chore to read at all. I found that after I read the books that it felt like a very natural progression into the magazine and the magazine was something that I absolutely loved. And there is absolutely a gaping hole 
in media today for a magazine that accomplishes this. I genuinely believe this, that I feel bad for preteens of today who don't have something like American Girl magazine. Mm. Ugh, we say that all the time. <laughs> definitely, definitely. What were some of the sections of the magazine that you were most drawn to? The crafting stuff I thought was really interesting. And it's just like the way the tone of voice is what resonates with me the most. Even just looking yeah. at your content and reminding myself because I don't remember reading it in real time, but now seeing it again, seeing how the magazine appealed to girls and how it wasn't about how fast you could grow up. It was about enjoying the now. And it wasn't about how much makeup we could put on or how we could look attractive to boys or men. Like it was just enjoying being a girl. I think that was extremely important. And I really loved the paper dolls. I recently, when I went through a tub of things, I found, okay, so I had the the tin from the American Girls premiere computer game. Yep. <laughs> I didn't have the seat. I don't have that CD-ROM anymore, but I have the tin from it. And inside of the tin, I stored all of the paper dolls that I had because I don't have the magazines anymore, but I had the paper dolls. And I really love genealogy and I find researching my family tree to be interesting and rewarding. And so reading about these girls and their family histories, I think that's really special. And just like how we can learn about the history through the books, we can learn about the history of just regular people like you and me. Yeah, definitely. Right. It really builds that connection. Like you're reading about these fictional um, girls that you connect with in the past, but you could also take it into your own family tree and make that same connection. I love that they included that in the magazine to kind of build on that. But that's great that you saved all of those dolls. A lot of people seemed to have done that, which I mm -hmm. think is so awesome. Um, we've posted a few paper doll examples on our Instagram and people have said like, I still have this one, which is so incredible. And I think it it does really like all cohesive, American Girl is such a cohesive brand that I think ties back to just a handful of like goals at the end of the day. And I mean, like the stories of the girls themselves they were not extraordinary girls. And I think that's why like the tie in to doing the historical genealogy of our ancestors who were maybe not like extraordinary in a way where like it was like miracle working, mythical, like mm -hmm. anything happening to them, but still like their stories are worth telling and interesting. And in their own way, they are extraordinary because they were going through you know, unique struggles to them every day and like encouraging you to look into your own past for that as well, I think is so awesome. And the fact that they also had that sitting side by side with like such wildly different content too in the magazine, like the paper dolls sort of feel like very different from the other content in the magazine. 
That is a really great point, Laura. It definitely is a different vibe from the content featured elsewhere in the magazine that really leans its focus on the modern girl of today from the peer-to-peer advice section, party planning pages, the crafts, the help section, the features on interesting but not necessarily famous girls, the story contest, the giggle gang, et cetera, et cetera. The paper dolls really do stand out. There's something really important about self-acceptance versus a continuous state of self-improvement. And I think that the magazine really drove that point home as well. Mm. Maybe you had the one section where you would guess which woman this girl grew up to be. And I think Michelle Kwan was one of them, the Mm -hmm. ice skater. So it's like you see a woman who has accomplished something wonderful and has done great things, whether in her career or her life. And I think that's great to see someone who is aspirational to show you that you can be whoever you want to be. And let's be real, we're girls and we live in a patriarchy and everyone who's living has always lived under that power structure. And so while it is wonderful to see that you could try to be anything you want to be. The purpose of the magazine was not to say, okay, let's mold you into who society wants you to be. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't accomplish these things, if you are not extraordinary, then too bad for you. We're going to try to still make you someone who is going to buy our magazines, but not media literate enough to understand that reading this magazine will make you feel like shit. Right. Like I feel like American Girl magazine, I the first time I reread one in years was looking on your page and I walked away from it being like, wow, this is the only magazine geared toward women or girls specifically that doesn't make me feel like shit. And that's so incredible. True. Yeah. Very, very true. It's like celebrating the everyday and not in an unattainable way. Like it really, I think, connected the girls of our country together in like a very unique way and purpose. It's so fascinating that it kind of just normalized the everyday life. Yeah, it it almost in a way I think was trying to create an attitude of like, you know, not needing to compare yourself to others, not needing to keep up with others, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily being... So, which, uh, you know, we're all human, but, you know, so taken by like different, you know, trends or like having to do what all your friends are doing. And I think like, as, you know, corny as it sounds, is like really just being true to yourself, whoever that self was, which I really love. Two other specific things that I read in the magazine that really resonated with me at the time. Like I mentioned, I loved seeing the party ideas in there. Yes. Those were really fun. So I had the flower power birthday party for my ninth birthday. And I mean, we would follow these pretty much to a T, which was very exciting because everything was very doable. You could recreate everything at home. And I think also with how American Girl Magazine was set apart from others was that 
it was something that actually brought me and my mom together versus I think that when girls start to read magazines, the magazines become a substitute for their mothers or they feel like they're starting to read mature content and then Mm -hmm. it causes this rift or divide and they don't think that their mom is cool anymore and that their mom's never going to understand or that she's never gone what they have gone through. And to an extent, they're right in that the mom will never be a young person like how we were talking before Mm -hmm. with the cultural zeitgeist. My mom's never going to know what it was like being a girl in the 90s. Right. She's never going to know. I'm never going to know what it's like to be a girl today because I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. So it's like we have to have compassion for people of other generations because even though I've been a girl and I've grown up, there are still other challenges that I had to face that hopefully have been resolved by this generation and then vice versa. So anyway, the point is that I love the parties in the magazine <laughs> and um, and there was something I loved the parties and the crafts because my mom could help me and it was something we could do together instead of looking at a magazine and being like, or how people do now on Pinterest, they save something and they're like, eh, let's be real. I'm never going to make that recipe. Right. Like, everything was very approachable. So I had um, a Wizard of Oz party as well that was in the magazine, yes. which was super sick. The cake yeah. was so sick. It was very good. And then one other activity that I really loved doing. So this was, I think it was probably the year, I think this was probably October 1999, if I'm not mistaken. They had a Halloween pumpkin painting contest. So you could paint these pumpkins, a cat, a mummy, a witch. So we submitted these pictures. They were, I did not win, but the pumpkins came out pretty great. I just remember (laughs) that me and my sister were wearing matching silk limited to pajamas, very Groovival-esque with flowers (laughs) all over them. (laughs) posing with these painted pumpkins I can't find the pictures but they have to exist somewhere but I'm like this is fun we just had a photo shoot in our house with these pumpkins and it was so funny that's so cute and you were participate the magazine was asking you to like participate in a collective activity which even though you didn't win such a like you know it's I think that magazine something about it incur- like people really wanted to submit stuff to it in a way that I don't think like we can really capture today mm-hmm. um that's so unique and I love that like a lot of their content was generated by their readers too wait I just remembered I forgot to tell you guys probably the most important thing of all and that <laughs> is that I had an American girl pen pal <gasps> You did. Oh my gosh. Tell us about her. Bill. <laughs> I think that it was through the magazine was how it was originally mm-hmm. orchestrated. So right. I am from Connecticut and I got matched with this girl, Julie. Shout out to Julie if she's listening. She's from the Baltimore area. And we would write each other letters and sometimes send pictures. Oh, hi, this was me at Christmas. This was whatever. And the first picture we sent each other was like us holding our doll. And I can't remember. I definitely still have these notes somewhere. I can't remember if she had Samantha too, but um, 
yeah, what was very interesting about this back and forth too, we would write to each other every few months or so. But what was so fascinating was this was probably, I was probably around nine or 10 at this time. And so you saw us going from handwritten notes to notes written on the computer. Mm. And it was so cool and so novel that we could type a note to our pen pal. But that kind of analog experience doesn't really exist in the same form anymore. And I thought that was very cool. I I think I might have looked her up on Facebook once like 10 years ago. I don't think we ever connected again, but you never know. That's so cool. cool. How long were you pen pals for? Two years, maybe. When I go back to my parents next time, I'm going to find the letters and (laughs) show you guys. Please. Oh my God. That's so cool. I love that they like facilitated that. I think like they asked people to send in like a self-addressed envelope and then a little information about yourself, like a few like hobbies or interests and then they would match you up yeah I think also like having a pen pal is a perfect example of something that a future generation would not be able to necessarily wrap their head around because it's like why how like and it's just like because we didn't have anything better to do that's why (laughs) like we there was such like a desire to connect with people I think at that time that like that was one of the few ways that you could do it and it's really like giving you permission to to just be like vulnerable with somebody who is like you've never met before it's kind of funny to think about it Definitely. I mean, there's so much access to people all around the world at this point. Like when we were growing up, pen pals were so, I think, novel to us because it was being able to communicate with someone that you wouldn't have interacted with outside of, you know, the pen pal space. But now it's so easy to communicate in that way. But that's so cool. Yeah, thank you. I think with American culture too, just to contrast today from the late 90s and early 2000s is that, I mean, America was in a different place politically. And now the country is just a more political place. And with young people having access to social media, the things that they can see on their phones on a daily basis is very different than Mm -hmm. even what we would see filtered through a television when Mm -hmm. we were young. And I do think that identity politics didn't affect children then as much as they do now at least I think to my own upbringing you can say privileged but I like to say insulated as well in that Mm -hmm. when you're a kid you're not really worrying about quote adult problems or adult things and you could just and older generations love to say this but like you could just be a kid right and so kids of today might be like wait who's this person wait they're kind of random where are they from wait what's their deal Why would they want to be doing this? And you would be asking so many more layered questions. Whereas then like I could be talking to somebody from Baltimore. I could be talking to somebody from California or name any state in the United States. And it didn't mean anything to me as a kid because you just were like excited to be talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And you had like a lot of the essential things in common too. Right. It was just about, I mean, this is kind of parallel to maybe sports for some people. Like you don't talk about 
your personal life, I suppose, as much as you talk about your love for the game and the team and the players. Whereas with American Girl, like that's such a huge common ground to have because they Mm -hmm. really created such a strong brand ecosystem where it's like you have a whole universe of AG stuff to talk about. Right. Which still remains today. Hence, you know, this podcast existing and like the community surrounding AG for the millennials that grew up with it, like case in point. Um, Nicole, let's kind of get into the last question here. What lasting impression did American Girl leave on you? I would say that American Girl, as I mentioned with American Girl magazine, it just showed you that you're good as you are. You don't have to change. You can be whoever you want to be, whatever that looks like for you how you want to dress, how you want to present. I think that's so true. And again, like that's why today it still remains a powerful brand experience that although has changed, has also largely stayed the same in many ways. And I'm just so glad that it is now reaching a point where we're sitting here talking about it and reexamining it in a different way and, you know, able to acknowledge that it had this impact too. But enough of that deep stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we get into our activities? Let's do it. All right. Nicole, if American Girl was to make a Nicole doll, what three accessories would your doll come with? Oh, yes. This is pretty easy for me. She would definitely come with a pair of platform shoes, like those cute little (laughs) shoes that they have, but make them like five inches tall. Love it. It would be very (laughs) cute. And definitely, well, I don't want to, if my doll is being marketed toward children, then maybe not an iced coffee because I'm not trying to promote the consumption or overconsumption of caffeine to young people. So maybe like a water bottle or something, (laughs) um, because I always have like at least three beverages on me at any given moment. So she would have to have a beverage in hand. And then the other thing that I am never seen without is chapstick. If I have three beverages, I have four chapsticks. We have a a tinted lip balm. We have a lip gloss. We have a tinted lip gloss. We have a non-tinted balm. And so it wouldn't be real gloss or anything. It would be a doll version. But (laughs) she would be staying hydrated and she would be looking cute. Love it. Those are such fun accessories. I love the platform shoes. (laughs) Agreed. Oh, yeah. That's so cute. (laughs) Well, if she had big accessories, she would have a squiggle mirror because I have a squiggle mirror where I can take my little mirror selfies. She would have a (laughs) disco ball because I have a disco ball. And then she would have, I actually bought a CD player that I had when I was young. It's an icy blue Memorex CD boombox that became my hyperfixation of 2023. I know that we only have audio, but just so Lindsay and Laura can see it, it's in the background. Wow. Oh my gosh, I totally have seen that before. Amazing. So if I have a boombox, my American girl has to have one too. Totally. A hundred percent. Ugh. Well, I think those are 
great answers. I wish that they would create these accessories <laughs> because I would absolutely get all of them. Um, my question is around a favorite celebrity. So you have mentioned her since we've started this conversation and we've never had anybody bring her up before. Um, which American girl do you think Sporty Spice would have? Ooh, that's a good question. I think that she would have Molly because Molly, remember when she went camping? I -hmm. had that camp outfit. Yeah, the like summer camp outfit. Yes. And so Molly kind of had a little bit of this adventurous vibe, whereas in contrast to Samantha, who was, you know, not really trying to get her hands dirty. I think that Molly would be out there on a canoe, like doing something. And uh, (laughs) I think Sporty Spice shares that energy. She's like the backbone of the Spice Girls, I kind of think. And Mm -hmm. in a way that I think like Molly is sort of like a, a key cornerstone of the American Girl franchise as well. Like she's extremely identifiable when you think of American Girl and like we couldn't have it without her and I think that that's why she and Molly are a perfect match (laughs) I mean we literally have Felicity, Kirsten, Addie Samantha and Molly that's Ginger baby scary Samantha sporty It it just makes sense yeah, no, totally. It it actually does. It's like <laughs> just simply based on how they look. <laughs> yes, based on hair color and style. <laughs> right. I'm sure we could track down a photo of the AG gals as their corresponding spice girl. I am positive that somebody has made this before. Yes, (laughs) I'm going into research mode starting now. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, Well, Nicole, this was so wonderful to have you join us today. You are just full of so many insights. It was truly a pleasure to connect with you today. Thanks again for having me. And where could everybody find you after this? You can find me on Instagram or your social platform of choice at Nicole Tremaglio, N-I-C-O-L-E-T-R-E-M-A-G-L-I-O, NicoleTremaglio.com. My podcast is called Nostalgia. You can watch it on YouTube or listen on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, I have a weekly newsletter for Nostalgia, and it talks about pop culture, music, tech with a nostalgic twist. And that's at nostalgia.substack.com. I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to American Girl Women. For more AG Women content, follow us on IG at American Girl Women or send us your American Girl stories via AmericanGirlWomen at gmail.com. We might just read them on the pod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts.